From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. We talk astronomy every week with Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley. Hello, Fred. <laughs> Good day, Andrew. How are you going? I'm very well. Good to see How you. How does it feel to be a host? It um, feels the same <laughs> as it did the very first time. <laughs> very good. Mm, I don't mind it. I enjoy this part of it because I don't have to know anything. <laughs> now, uh, Fred, today we're talking about a deal that's been signed uh, with Breakthrough Initiatives uh, and the Very Large Telescope in Chile uh, to look for nearby planets and we're talking exoplanets, but the ones that are closer to us, particularly uh, around areas like Alpha Centauri. So uh, this, this is a fascinating initiative and the reasons behind it are even more interesting and uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, also, two uh, gas-rich spiral galaxies have um, started to collide and created some amazing pictures. And we'll be looking at a deal that's been struck to keep an eye on the rainforest. This is a deal worth £14 million, and it will enable um, the use of satellite imagery to um, see if people are doing the right thing by our rainforests. And I suspect the answer is no, they're not, and that's why they're keeping an eye on it. But first, Fred, let's uh, talk about this, uh, this agreement that's been signed to uh, try and find nearby exoplanets. Yeah, this is a really interesting story, Andrew, because it follows on the heels of uh, something that uh, we in Australia are involved with, and that's the Breakthrough Listen project. <clears throat> Breakthrough Listen is um, part of the Breakthrough Foundation initiative uh, funded by um, a billionaire called Yuri Milner uh, with some very big names associated with it, including <clears throat> Professor Stephen Hawking, who, by the way, uh, celebrated his 75th birthday a few days ago. Happy birthday, Stephen. Um, the, um, the idea with Parks, the idea was to join something called Breakthrough Listen, which is uh, all about listening for artificial radio signals from extraterrestrial intelligences throughout the universe. And uh, that uh, project involves uh, another radio telescope in the Northern Hemisphere, in the United States, in fact, plus uh, a, an optical or visible light telescope to look for the uh, kind of laser signals that you might expect uh, that uh, uh, civilizations may or may not use. It's, this is very speculative stuff. But it is, but... Really yeah. interesting. Mm. So what's happened now is something slightly different, uh, but it involves essentially the biggest telescope in the world. Um, as you and I know, we've spoken about it before. The biggest telescope in the world is, is four, uh, well, the biggest optical or visible light telescope in the world. is actually four telescopes that can be coupled together. They're in northern Chile. They're operated by the European Southern Observatory. And rather than 
giving them a glamorous name like Il Telescopio Grande Galileo uh, or something like that. Wait uh, for the it, Europeans, wait for it, here we the go. The Europeans called it the Very Large Telescope. <laughs> uh, so, so the Very Large Telescope is very large. There are four 8.2-metre telescopes. And what's happened is that the Breakthrough Foundation has actually signed an agreement with the European Southern Observatory to adapt um, the instrumentation on one of the very large telescopes uh, to look for planets specifically in the nearby star system of Alpha Centauri. Uh, that's the nearest star system to our own. Uh, it consists of multiple stars, of which the nearest is a little red dwarf called Proxima Centauri. It's 4.3 light years away. We already know that Proxima has a planet-sized object in orbit around it. Mm. So the idea uh, with this deal is that there'll be um, a, an adaptation of some of the instruments on uh, on one or more of these very large telescopes to uh, to actually look specifically for other planets around the uh, stars of the Alpha Centauri system. And that is because in the long term, the Breakthrough Foundation actually wants to send a spacecraft to these uh, to this star system. Now, you, uh, and I, you and I have talked about going there before with these miniature spacecraft that are, that's right, that are pushed yes. along by laser. Is that what they're talking about? Yeah, that's right. The, mm. the Breakthrough Starshot program. So you push them along with a laser. They get up to something like 20% um, uh, of the speed of light. That means that you can do the trip in 20 or 30 years rather than 100,000 years with conventional technology. So really very, very... Uh, interesting uh, in terms of what this is all about. The problem, uh, Andrew, with uh, with detecting the planets of other stars is that um, stars uh, are very bright and the planets shine by reflected light. So that means they're not very bright. And mm. um, people have likened it to uh, trying to find uh, the glow of a lighthouse keeper's cigarette on the, on the gantry right next to the beam of a lighthouse. Uh, it's that sort of thing. It's actually billions of times uh, more faint is the planet. However, you can, you can improve your chances by looking in the infrared region of the spectrum. That's where, you know, you're looking at radiation that's redder than red. And so that is what is happening with this, uh, with this project. They are actually modifying some infrared in instrumentations uh, instrumentation on the VLT, the Very Large Telescope, uh, to with the hope of investigating planets uh, near to uh, uh, the, the already known one around Proxima Centauri, but also perhaps around the two components of Alpha Centauri, the two remaining components of Alpha Centauri as well. So very interesting stuff. I think they're planning to start work uh, on the uh, search program in 2019. It'll probably take them that long to actually do the modifications to the instruments. Okay, and then ultimately, if they find some planets there that, uh, and, and they may well do that, uh, that are uh, interesting enough, we will possibly send a, a, a spacecraft to the area. Or more exactly. than one. I think they were talking about sending multiples, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you blast them all with the same laser, mm. um, and that might be the case. Uh, it's you know the technology that would be required to do that doesn't really exist at the moment, but it, it can be. You know, you can visualise how it would work. It's not uh, it's not new physics or anything impossible. It's just an adaptation of modern technology, the current technology. It's so, not it's not rocket science, you're saying. Uh, <laughs> Well, in this case, it's not rocket science because they don't use rockets. Yeah. They're using these solar sails. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Very All good. right. Well, we'll watch that one with interest because that's a story that 
uh, could evolve uh, for several years to come and uh, really be worth pursuing because being able to send spacecraft so far in such a short period of time is um, ultimately the goal, but it would also be one, one great achievement uh, worth, uh, worth keeping an eye on. Exactly. Yeah, it could be, uh, you know, the, almost the biggest experiment in the history of humanity. Mm, very much so, yes. yes. Yeah. And um, also gives me the idea to go and have a VLT for lunch. Have a VLT, that's right. <laughs> You're listening to Space Nuts with Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to talk about uh, a collision in space. Now, this is probably not uncommon. Things are running into each other all the time. But what uh, makes this one a little bit different is the fact that it's been picked up by the Hubble Space Telescope uh, using one of its cameras. And the images are just incredible because what's collided are two spiral galaxies. <laughs> that's, a, that's an enormous collision. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, it's, uh, it's also um, a little bit sort of prescient for ourselves because uh, we will eventually collide with the uh, nearest big spiral galaxy, which is the Andromeda galaxy, uh, visible uh, actually to the naked eye if you're keen sighted and you really need to be in the northern hemisphere, but it, it can be can be seen with the naked eye uh, from our latitudes as well. Um, that galaxy is about two and a half million light years away, and we are on a collision course with it uh, in about three billion years. I always tell people to put it in their diaries, Andrew, yeah. because uh, something to look out for. But the fact is, however, that um, we will probably not notice anything uh, because, <coughs> excuse me, galaxies are mostly empty space. Yeah. Um, there's lots of stars, there's a lot of gas, there's a lot of dust in some of them. Um, but generally speaking, the stars are so far apart that they really only <coughs> interact with one another uh, really quite, um, qu quite um, moderately. Mm. Um, and so for our distant descendants, I think uh, this collision will probably be um, uh, really quite underwhelming um, because, you know, it will take several million years to, to unfold and, uh, and we won't really see anything. That is not the case, though, for this one that we're talking about today. This is a collision of two spiral galaxies uh, uh, with a fantastic image, as you said, that's been captured by uh, the Hubble Space Telescope, actually discovered um, by another inf uh, astronomical satellite, one called IRAS, the Infrared Astronomical Satellite, a number of years ago that they discovered this object. And that's because this, uh, this pair of galaxies in collision are very rich in infrared radiation. And that's why it was picked up uh, with the IRAS satellite. But why, will their, why is their collision different from the one that we will have? And it's actually the words that you used in your intro. These are gas-rich spiral galaxies. So they're galaxies that have much more gas in them than our own galaxy. Our galaxy has little pockets of gas that um, we see as what we call nebulae. Many of them are glowing. There's also cold gas in the, in the galaxy, but nothing like as much as there is in this pair that are colliding uh, actually about one billion light years away. That's the distance of this collision. So... Um, why does that make a difference? Well, the gas that we're talking about is almost all hydrogen. And hydrogen is the, the raw material of stars. It's the, the fuel that stars burn. It's actually what stars are principally made of. So if you've got two galaxies that are very rich in hydrogen gas and they collide, the gas itself becomes an important part of the collision. And these cl colliding clouds of gas set up shock waves 
And those shock waves actually trigger star formation. Ah. So um, what you get is a whole new generation of stars being born as a result of the collision. And that makes them, you know, really quite active galaxies. They're, they're sometimes called starburst galaxies, galaxies that have this kind of high density of gas uh, leading to, to um, a, a very high rate of star formation. So this pair of galaxies, by the way, they've got a sensational name. They're called IRAS 14348-1477. Uh, uh, fantastic terminology there. Yeah, brilliant. You know, that, mean, that means a lot. <laughs> don't, don't, actually, it's, it's position in the sky. It's, um, I figured it, it was it, something like it, that. Yeah, it's basically, uh, that's, that's the, the best way to, to name things, is to, to tell you where they are. Mm. Uh, th this object, though, contains all this gas, um, gas that's rich for being turned into stars, and that's exactly what's happening. And so the image that we see from the Hubble Space Telescope, which is in, in true color, has a lot of blue in it. And the blue comes from um, very young stars being formed. Blue stars are massive stars. They, uh, they burn uh, ferociously at very high temperatures. They don't last very long, matters of millions of years rather than billions like our, our sun will last. Um, and they, as I said, they're blue in color. So they, they give the, the whole galaxy or the whole pair of galaxies this blue blue color. The other thing, Andrew, that um, uh, shows up really clearly in this image is something that typically happens to spiral galaxies when they collide. We, we see this in a number of instances, and, it, and it's the disruption to the spiral arms of the galaxy. Um, ga galaxies, as you know, uh, have usually fairly regular structure with these beautiful spiral arms, which tend to be moderately tightly wound. But when two galaxies collide, they unwind. And you get this curious appearance where, you know, you have the impression of these spiral arms kind of flailing around in space. They've, they've become unwound. Uh, that's exactly what this image uh, of uh, IRAS uh, 14348-1477 shows, um, the spiral arms straightened out. Uh, there's a very famous uh, pair of colliding galaxies, which are known as the antenna galaxies, because the spiral arms look for all the world like the antenna, uh, the antennae of an ant. Uh, they're they're spread, spread out in opposite directions. So wow. this is a very similar phenomenon. And it's caused by the, the sort of gravitational influence of, of one galaxy on the other, uh, that unwinding of the spiral arms. It's just hard to imagine the the brute force the, the incredible energy that must be going into this particular collision it just the, the pictures are spectacular i must say just looking at them you can see you can just see how much energy must be going into this uh, this particular event that's right and because we all, we see everything in you know in sort of still frame mode uh, it's uh, stop action stuff uh, so it looks as though this thing uh, is stationary and for the next couple of million years it will still look like that um, because the movement is whilst it's fast by terrestrial standards we're looking on such a large scale that we don't see much change we in the world of astronomy Andrew have a, a bit of a, a an insight into that though because many of my colleagues build models computer models of what happens in these collisions and these days computer technology is such that you can actually do, uh, you can make movies of these models. And so then you can speed time up so that, um, you know, a million years goes by in a second or something like that. Mm. And you can see exactly what these interactions are like. And sure enough, 
There is brute force there, big time. Um, what usually happens when two galaxies come together is they basically pass through one another um, and, and start disrupting the spiral arms uh, and keep going in the, their original directions. But gravity wins eventually and pulls them back together. And there's this sort of, you know, almost a, a bouncing backwards and forwards of the galaxies before they finally settle down into a very disrupted shape compared with what they were like to start with. It certainly indicates the slow motion activity of, of these mega objects in space when you uh, need to look at them at one million years per second. Per second, that's right. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing, yeah. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts. I'm Andrew Dunkley, and with me is Dr. Fred Watson. What a matchup! And what a team, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on our T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Roger, you're allowed to here also. Space nuts. Finally, Fred, we're going to your place, sort of. Uh, a <laughs> Scots-based firm has been uh, given a, a chunk of money to keep an eye on the world's rainforests, and for a very good reason. I mean, they're disappearing, and that's the issue. But they've been awarded £14 million to uh, use satellite imagery to uh, basically be forest spies. But that's correct, Andrew. I feel I should introduce this story in my best Scots accent. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Which been... I'm entitled to do because I was educated there, as you know. <laughs> yeah, you've been practising that for your entire life by the sound of it. <laughs> it sounds as well might have been. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the Yorkshire shows through because that's where I was born. So mm. Yorkshire tends to, to trump Scots. But um, when I go to Scotland, and particularly when, when I'm with my daughters, of course, who live uh, in Scotland, I tend to revert uh, to the old way. Of speaking you know <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's happened is this company um, and good on them uh, they're based in Edinburgh they're called Echometria um, I beg your pardon they're called Echometrica mm. and um, there's actually a slight subtlety in that because uh, echo of course refers to ecology but also is the first uh, the first three letters of the French word for Scotland uh, which many uh, Scottish motorists have on the back of their cars when they're driving around in France because they don't want the French to think that they're English. <laughs> so you often have the word Écosse. Écosse is French for Scotland uh, on the back of your car. So Echometrica actually touches all bases. I'm sure they have that in mind. Uh, when they see that, company. That's so funny. Gosh, isn't it, isn't it interesting how we all try to detach ourselves from the yeah, English? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no offence to my pommy brethren. Of course not, no. And, and in fact, since I was born in England, I can't take offence either. No. What they've done, uh, what Echometrica have done is um, uh, basically um, signed a contract with the, the UK Space and Agency. Um, but the company will start working with experts uh, in, in six other countries. Um, and it's all about, exactly as you've said, safeguarding uh, ecosystems which are under threat. And um, those countries um, do include um, some nations which, uh, which, you know, have really quite an interest in rainforests and in preserving their rainforests. So the, the partners are Brazil, 
Colombia, Ghana, Indonesia, Kenya, and Mexico, and of course, Scotland. Um, so what they're going to do is set up a network of Earth observation laboratories, uh, that means orbiting spacecraft, to look at the threats to rainforest and actually to to try and direct the resources that are available for conservation. May, so it's may almost, I say, Fred, it's probably too late to save the rainforests in Scotland. Uh, I think that's right. Um, well, look, it rains most of the time in Scotland, so <laughs> <laughs> that's not the problem. But yes, Scotland is um, is providing the, uh, the technology. Uh, the, the, the technology, exactly. Uh, so I suppose what they're doing is they're looking, um, you know, looking at threats like uh, fires, um, you know, these huge forest fires that occasionally uh, decimate rainforests. Uh, but more, moreover, they're looking at things like illegal logging. Mm. Um, and the idea is to detect them as soon as possible so that you can produce a ground response much more quickly and more cost effectively. You don't have to have people on the ground looking for, you know, looking for illegal logging because you know where it's happening uh, because of the spacecraft. So that suggests that they've got pretty high resolution imagery and probably uh, multispectral, that's to say multicolored uh, imagery that will give an idea of, you know, the difference between a, a, a rainforest canopy and a cleared area around it. So quite exciting. It's called the Forests 2020 project and its overall aim is to improve the management and protection across 300 million hectares of tropical forests. Um, and yeah, I wish it well. Uh, the big question from me is, OK, they, they do detect illegal logging or some other issue that's um, you know, a human factor that's interfering with rainforests. That, OK, that they see that, but then they've got to convince a government in whatever country this is happening in to do something about it. So seeing it is one thing, getting something done about it is probably a giant leap in some it, cases. It, it might well be. Um, that's right. Um, although, um, you know, there is government, uh, in, there's government level involvement in these various partner countries, uh, which one hopes would be, uh, would actually be um, one that, um, uh, you know, that, that involvement will be one that, that, that really will expedite some of the, the threat, the um, measures needed to, uh, to mitigate these effects. I guess in the last analysis, Andrew, they could uh, go across the country from Edinburgh to Glasgow and bring a few Glasgow heavies in to go yes. to these people and say, I see you, Jimmy, you stop, yeah. you stop doing that to our rainforests. Well, you know, I think the Scots should take some of the blame because they invented <laughs> yeah, caber right. tossing and that involves big logs. So it does big logs. It's yes. all your fault. <laughs> Indeed. Mm. Fred, as always, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for talking to us. Great pleasure, Andrew, and uh, we'll talk again soon. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And you've been listening to Space Nuts. Thank you so much for your company. We uh, do appreciate your feedback. We've been getting questions on Facebook and, uh, um, yeah, well, basically Facebook, and uh, we're more than happy to receive those and we'll answer them in, in good time or maybe longer. And uh, we uh, would love to hear your thoughts and maybe you've got some topics you'd like us to discuss. Uh, send it all through on, on our Facebook page. And don't forget our... Uh, sister podcast space time with Stuart Gary and uh, we've been helping him out a bit too with some of uh, some of his content so we're sort of cross-pollinating in space uh, and that's it for us uh, catch you again next time on space nuts space nuts you've been listening to the space nuts podcast subscribe to the full podcast
podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.